1: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Mariska's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, and by
0: Fry the Coop.
1: Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau, and 670 The Score's hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this probably somber, angry something edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the Lockdown Blackhawks Podcast. We are coming to you mere minutes after the Chicago Blackhawks were defeated at the United Center by the St. Louis Blues. Really 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 feels like this time it's finally the final nail in the coffin does it not
2: uh it certainly does and it kind of has for a little while to be honest with you it's just been I know they got hot last week but we've put the nail in the coffin of this team several times this year already and it's just been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of permanently I guess you would say Mm -hmm. but man it's this one is hugely disappointing and you got to give some I, I you know we're mad and we're pissed and, and unhappy about the way this game went, but you got to give some credit to the Blues who absolutely stifled the Hawks in the third period. The Hawks could not get anything going, and no. much much of the game was like that as well. Like, it was um, pucks bun- bouncing around, bad passes. So even when the Blues were not, like, putting the clamps on the Hawks, the Hawks were kicking themselves in the ass with bad passes and turnovers and all those sort of things that they've been. When the Hawks play poorly, that's what it looks like and uh, it, it looked really really bad uh, tonight again they lose 2 nothing to the Blues and now you lose to the worst team in hockey one of the worst teams in the history of the game uh, when it's all said and done because you had to fly in the night before for some reason you had to get to Detroit at 3 a.m instead of doing a morning skate taking a 45 minute flight to Detroit and playing that day I guess yeah, hindsight... I didn't really
1: understand that decision yeah. at all no
2: I guess hindsight's 2020 so whatever but I don't know. It's just it's just such a crap way to go out when they had played so well the games prior, you know? Yeah. And a loss to Detroit is what's going to derail this team. And look, the game against the Blues is what it is. The Blues are defending Stanley Cup champions. They're a really good team. And when you looked ahead on the calendar, that's probably one of the games you circled is a loss. But mm-hmm. after losing to Detroit, you heard the commentators say it tonight. The Hawks just can't get anything going. They need to. They need to empty the tank. They said in the third period, every commentator said that about the Hawks, and they didn't do it. They looked timid. They looked passive. And again, the Blues influenced a lot of that. But still, you've got to force the action sometimes. Mm.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that. I I really. I'm finding it hard to generate a lot of anger in terms of the effort level of the Blackhawks tonight. I know a lot of times this season, you and I have discussed that this team will come out and they'll lay some stinkers, kind of like they did the other night against Detroit. That's a game that, yeah, they had like, what, 32 shots on goal or something like that. But that's a game you have to win. The Blackhawks just flat out didn't do it. That's the kind of game that I'll be like, okay, I'm questioning this did they overlook them like what they do like why on earth did you allow this to happen to that bunch but a game like tonight i think not only serves as a good reminder of just how good the st louis blues are and they they are good enough to repeat i will tell you that much with that forward depth that they have and just that ability to completely smother the transition game. I mean, the Blackhawks, Every it seemed like every time they tried to get yep. a rush going up the ice, the Blues were just there. And every time the Blackhawks tried to set something up in the offensive zone, the Blues were all over it. It is amazing how aggressive that team is on the four check. Kind of reminded me a little bit of the 2010 Blackhawks when you had guys like Ben Eager and Andrew Ladd and John Madden out there doing that kind of stuff. The, just watching the Blues, it's a reminder of how good of a hockey team they are and how good of a chance they have, unfortunately, to potentially repeat as Stanley Cup champions, it's also a sad reminder of just how far the Blackhawks realistically are from being at that level. They, in the first two periods of the game especially, I thought, were trying to throw everything they could at the Blues. And yeah, they had some opportunities that Jake Allen made some really good stops on, but... The fact of the matter is, is that the Blues dictated the pace and the tempo and the way that that game went. And that's because they're one of the best teams in hockey and the Blackhawks, no matter what they tried to throw at the Blues, just couldn't get it done. And I think that to your point, Jay, may have been why the Blackhawks were so dispirited is just because they really realistically couldn't do anything to stem the tide and to turn it.
2: Yeah, that was that was very obvious. And and like I said, right off the hop you got to credit the Blues for how they played. There's no doubt about it. And, and you mentioned the 2010 Blackhawks. This is what that team did to their opponents, where you, the game would end and the, the, the quality shots on goal would be way down. The Hawks ended the third period with nine shots, but many of them came in the last minute or two. It took the Hawks 12 minutes down two goals in the third period to register a shot on goal. That yeah. tells you all you need to know about the Blues. And should the Hawks be better and do more? Yes. But like you said, James, this illustrates the difference in talent between a legit Stanley Cup contender and what the Blackhawks are right now. And they are a periphery playoff team. Maybe had they started the season a little better, they'd be a playoff team. Maybe had they Maybe not. win
1: some games that you need to win, like, oh, I don't know, games against the Detroit Red Wings.
2: Exactly. Or some games in February, which you're allowed to do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do That's allowed. They didn't set a rule where you don't have to win any games in February. There's just so many things that we have all off season to break this all down and look back on it and lament it. But the story of the game tonight against the Blues, most people who listen to this on Monday, so last night against the Blues, is the Hawks were just outmatched. That's a contender. The Hawks are not. And that's exactly how the game looked. Now, the the other thing, though, and this needs to be discussed, is the Hawks' absolute incompetence on the power play. <laughs> God. oh for 4 on the power play. They didn't get a shot on goal on the power play until their... Was it the fourth chance? It was the final power play of the game they finally got a shot on I believe
1: goal. that is correct because I think uh Kate Smith pointed out or Kate Scott sorry pointed out that uh Kirby Dock's shot I think it was on the third power play that they thought he had gotten a shot off and it turns out he didn't so she was like yeah the Blackhawks have made she was real upbeat about it and I was just like that's <laughs> so nice of you where's where's the bleach I need to find the bleach
2: yeah I see that's that's supposed to be the equalizer when you're not as talented as your opponent, you get four power plays. You're supposed to make something happen with those. And you're not going to score every time. But shots, shots are good. Shots lead to goals. But passing around in the perimeter, turning the puck over, bad turnovers you know uh even on the power play
1: putting Dominic kubelik in front of the net for some god unknown reason yeah well
2: you got a guy with a great one timer and a really good shot so what you should do is put him as close to the goalie as possible
1: you know what you, you know what you can also do and call me crazy for this put the guy who's 5 foot 5 in front of the net why not yeah put put alex debrinke there i think that's a genius idea
2: <sighs> it's just a, it's a frustrating <laughs> night man it's a frustrating <laughs> night and and it's you know they do this all the damn time is they get our hopes up. As soon as you write them off, you're like, well, you know, they've won a bunch in a row and they've beaten some good teams. And the last month is not that tough. And they're they're closing in and then <laughs> this crap right down their pant leg.
1: All season long, Jay, I've been telling you, man, don't get too high on this team. Don't get too low on this team. They're going to be right around that baseline Maybe average, slightly below average, man. And that's exactly what they are. They return to the mean in a big way these last two games. I will be the first to admit, if they played every game like they played that game Thursday night against Edmonton, they'd be a freaking playoff team right now. That is the best I have seen the Blackhawks move the puck all season long. Their defense actually looked competent. Their offense was clicking on all cylinders against a team that's pretty tough this season. I have to give Edmonton a little bit of credit for that. And then they come out on Friday night, and it's like they're a completely different – it's literally – like they were stolen away by aliens as they flew to detroit and they replaced them with i don't know charles barkley from space jam basically well it was like that level of incompetence it was crazy are we still at the point
2: now where the blackhawks still believe that they're this elite team that there are certain teams in this league that they can just skate over was that what happened on friday when the hawks played the red wings did, did they just land in, in detroit and say you know what we're just going to roll out put the skates on we're going to win five nothing and go home with two more points are they still doing that because they mentioned again in the broadcast that the hawks and jonathan taves are not used to not playing hockey in april right they used to just sort of take it for granted Um, well it's been two years but
1: i think they're probably pretty used to it by now well
2: exactly it's been two years it's about to be three so you should probably get used to not playing in the playoffs and being ready to play in winnable games you play a team like detroit you put your damn skates on necks early on. You get them down 3 4 nothing to start. And look, it's not like the Red Wings dominated the Blackhawks. No, Ber- certainly not. Right, and Bernier played very, very well. The I, Hawks- I don't
1: think Detroit can dominate anybody. No,
2: you're right. But the Hawks probably should have won that game had justice been served, using air quotes. But uh, still.
1: Uh, but they, played like, they played like ass for the make first. Make your own luck, dude. And you know what? Right. The Blackhawks didn't do it.
2: That's what I'm saying. They played like ass for the first 40 minutes. And then they're like, "Oh, well, we better try now."
1: Well, we better play hockey, I guess. Yeah. Well, you saw what happened against Anaheim on Monday night. They, or was it was either Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday. I apologize. That's My right. days are starting to run together a little bit. Understood. But the whole the whole point of it was that first period. Yeah, they came out and they were winning that hockey game, but you could tell they were just kind of feeling it out. And it's like, you guys, Anaheim. They are not good. They are, you watch them. They were a bad hockey team, and what did the Blackhawks do? They realized that Anaheim was bad, and they came out and had a massive second period, and that's exactly what they should have done against Detroit. But for whatever reason, they just didn't. I don't know if it's they're afraid of the octopus, if they had some Little Caesars pizza before the game. I have absolutely no idea what happened.
2: Well, that would motivate me. I like the little, the crazy bread. That's good stuff.
1: Okay, do you you actually like Little Caesars pizza?
2: As far as cheap pizza goes, you could do a hell of a lot worse than Little Caesars.
1: I suppose the old adage is true that you just get what you pay for, and as long as you're willing to look at it as a $6 pizza, then you're in business. Exactly.
2: And yeah. there, there was a thing on Facebook tonight, like, which of the cheap pizza chains do you prefer was Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, and uh, Domino's? Mm. And then everyone has to chime in, like, why would you eat one of those? There's good pizza. Pe- like, Yes. I know that other better pizza exists. That's not the question. <laughs> the question is which do you prefer? Don't I prefer Vito and Nicks? I know you do. Okay. Everybody does. People,
1: people on the internet. Let's just let's be honest here. I work in media. <laughs> I don't get paid very much. I order that type of pizza sometimes. Sorry if this offends you. By the way, Domino's, out of those three. Uh,
2: the Their new pan pizza is quite good. By the way, it's if you have...
1: delicious. Yes, that is that absolutely... Cr- Jay, that's the best food take you've ever had on this show. I love it.
2: Well, we don't do that a lot, but... Anyway, if you got 30, 40 kids to feed, you're not going to go to Aurelio's or Vito and Nick's and get, you know, five $20 pizzas. No, you need quantity over quality when you've got that many mouths to feed. You, all, <laughs> all pizza's pretty good. You know what else is pretty good, James?
1: Oh, man, there is a lot of directions you can go with this, and I'm just going to sit back and wait and find out.
2: Marishka's and Crest Hill, they don't have pizza, but they've got poor boys, they've got steaks, chopped seafood, everything. This time of year during Lent, if you're a, a, a Catholic who celebrates Lent, go try the awesome seafood they offer at Marishka's 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving, but go there Try that poor boy. Check out Marishka's dot com or Facebook.com dot slash Mariskas. Go say hello to Joe and his family at Marishkas. You will love it. Um yeah. So Breaking
1: news from the Black beat, by the way. Adam Boquist is in the concussion protocol.
2: Well, I thought Drake Kajula was going to be, too, after getting pummeled in that oh, fight.
1: jeez. Out of all of the guys on that team, I was like, please don't do that. He Drake Kajula has a hand injury, by the way.
2: Yeah, probably from punching helmets.
1: <laughs> well, everybody everybody in the United Center sure thought it was rip-roaring good entertainment, then. Well, man. L-
2: let me say this. If there is a time for a fight, it's when your star young player... Gets cheap shotted That if there's if they're going to allow fights to happen in hockey, which they are, if there's a time to do it, that's when you do it, in hopes that it doesn't happen again. It it won't change anything, but you hope that maybe one time they think twice about running your best player. You,
1: what you think of the hit?
2: I think there was an intentional follow through on the back end of that that arm whip.
1: And the the claim is is that Boquist was like lifting him up with his stick, and I think that's balderdash. Well, yeah, that
2: is crap because it's all part of the play. But like, look, you get call, you get a uh, high sticking penalty anytime your stick hit touches somebody. Absolutely, intentional you have or, to or not.
1: Control your stick.
2: And there was blood. Should have been a major. That's it. End of story for me. I think mm-hmm. they blew the call for sure. Um, and it's weird they went back and changed it. You know, it was originally called a major, then they review it and change it to a minor. That yeah. was the first time, by the way, we saw Jeremy Cowton pissed off. <laughs> there was a camera. Yeah, we
1: actually saw him. Uh, he he. If he'd been wearing his glasses, he would have. He wouldn't have gotten that angry. I don't think he would have been like. Got to be cool. Got to be cool. <laughs> no glasses, Jeremy. It Uh-oh. was all action. He's well, like that was bullshit or whatever he said. I don't it, even remember. But it was profane. I think
2: it was what the f was that. Ah, uh, you are correct. Um, yes. Then Mark Crawford tried to handle things with the referee, and then Calton jumped in, and he was he That was the first time red-faced you know one knee up on the bench giving it to the referee um but then you saw after it was and i don't want to i shouldn't even do this because it's going to be a whole thing but i don't think it's a whole thing but you saw after it got reversed tave said something to Cowton and Cowton's like i know but blah 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 and the camera cut away i wish i could have read the lips there yeah, but man, just uh, bleh, what a fart why, of a game,
1: man. Why, why didn't he uh, pull the Quenville and uh, tug the junk? That's what I want to know. Tell that the happened ref, against St. Louis.
2: Well, the ref did grow a pair because he reversed the penalty.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, he grew a pair in the. I don't even know how to finish this analogy. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step away very slowly. Good,
2: that was a good move by you. That was a good sensor of yourself. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah unlike uh sunquist i actually can control what i do
2: sunquist i love their lemonade absolutely delicious um
1: uh, oh i thought they made orange soda
2: i think they do that too it's, it's like sun kiss sparkling lemonade ah okay if you want uh <laughs> sun sun kiss what lemonade. the hell
1: are we even doing we're, right we're,
2: now dude the season's over
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> this, i feel like this is the fifth time we've said that well
2: have we been wrong
1: uh, the first four times? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so we're Twitter up. poll, have we been wrong? Have
2: we been wrong? No, but Kissed Lemonade is great if you want bees in your cup at a party. <laughs> <laughs> you know what my cup needs? More bees. Sunkissed Lemonade.
1: <laughs> they, they do uh, enjoy the cans of the orange soda, too. They will flock to that.
2: Yeah, it's, you know. I like bees. They're important, but they can be annoying at parties. Okay, so By why column. can't
1: we like get like hummingbirds attracted to that stuff? They actually look cool, and it's like a thing when they come around. You're like, it's a hummingbird. They look so cool. But instead, you get bees, and they get mad at you and sting you, and it's just rude, man. You know what? The hell are we? Again, we need I'm going to invent... ask, what the hell are we doing?
2: <laughs> we need to invent upside-down pop cans so they're more hummingbird-friendly. This is mm. my goal now. Wow. <laughs> Now that the Blackhawks are done, that's my goal.
1: It, your, your goal is to become, what, the next Elon Musk? To become an inventor?
2: Absolutely. That's okay. My next
1: Duly one. noted.
2: All right. So are we going to talk about the broadcast? Because I thought it was really good. I don't want to make a huge thing of it because the whole point of doing these things is so they're not a big deal anymore. Um, but I was really impressed. I thought the broadcast sounded like a broadcast. which is That's
1: actually exactly what I told my sister. I was like, it. Sounded like a hockey broadcast it did. like it. I, I thought that after the, uh, the the very beginning of the game, I think that it took uh, Kate Scott like kind of a minute to get into the flow of things. I thought she did really well. Definitely. AJ Malesko is awesome. She's great. So good. Like I want to hear her on way more games. Uh, Kendall Coyne needs to work on the, it and it is a fine art. I know this from doing some uh television stuff it's really hard sometimes when you have a very limited amount of time to get in a lot of information. It's like it all tries to come out at once. Yeah. And when she's able to do it, it's and it's a learning process, I think. But when she's able to like get the the good nugget of information out, she's really insightful about this stuff. So I, I think that obviously there's there was definitely like probably, I guess you would call it a lack of polish maybe on the part of like Kendall coin or something like that. But I thought overall it was a really good hockey broadcast and it honestly, it felt like the most normal thing in the world. And I think yeah. that, that probably is the best compliment that you can give it.
2: I agree. So she is just over a year into her broadcasting career and you said it. And I will agree with you as a member of the media, what she has to do of those three roles is the most difficult
1: uh huh. And Agreed. I think 100%.
2: If, in the odd chance, she's listening to this podcast, I would advise I say this to my students all the time. Uh, when I've taught broadcasting classes in the past, I say it to young producers, to the hosts I work with. If you think you're talking incredibly slow, the pace is probably just right. So mm-hmm. I, I felt like that she was trying to rush her thoughts out, and that's what stumbled her up. If you just yep. talk at a regular pace or even a slower pace, your partners are going to give you time to get the thought out, and the game's televised, right. so even if you even if you overlap in the gameplay, people can see what's happening, right? So you don't have mm-hmm. to rush through your thoughts all the time. I think that would be, and I'm sure someone there will give her that lesson, but it's a lesson for not just a woman, not just a man, not just a, whatever.
1: Just as a broadcaster. It is,
2: it is the hardest thing to do as a broadcaster oh, yeah. is to slow down and be calm because you feel that um, you almost feel like there's a like a, something is chasing you mm-hmm. when you've got a short time to say something with a lot of info quickly. Yep. So that is that t- I, truly what she had to do is the most difficult part of a live, you know, sport sporting event broadcast. That's mm-hmm. the toughest. And role. she's
1: again not a classically trained broadcaster either. So it's not like you know she has all this like gobs of experience. She sees the game really well, and you hear that in her uh, delivery when the gameplay is actually going on. Like, she spots stuff and calls it out, and it's like, damn, that's really insightful stuff. It's those moments when it's kind of between plays that it's like, okay, just, like you said, slow it down a little bit, get the pertinent information out. Like, you clearly have it. Just, it's all a matter of uh, perfecting that delivery, and it just, it comes with time. But I, like I said... Thought everybody did a great job on the broadcast. I thought the produ- obviously the production was great. top-notch, as NBC's NHL coverage tends to be. And I, I really <laughs> exactly. enjoyed the evening quite a bit. My favorite uh, comment about it was, what can't women do? We even got uh, Milbury and <laughs> Jones out of the booth. And I was like, dang right you did. Yeah,
2: I, look, that, that's the whole point. Like, you and I are not going to come on. And, you know, we've been criticized of being libs and caring about social justice like a bunch of weirdos. But, um, you know, the whole point is to prove, like, yeah, anyone can do this. You don't have to be a former player or coach in the NHL to be a broadcaster of the sport. They did a fine job. It was a normal broadcast with perfectly capable and quality broadcasting done by all parties by the production staff behind the scenes by the studio host by the analyst by the play-by-play woman they all did a tremendous job and it should just not be a thing anymore someday it won't be right and that's kind of the whole point is look it doesn't have to be pierre going on and on about where some guy played junior who gives a crap
1: all right. well, it's like with uh, Doris Burke on ESPN nowadays, like she does so many basketball broadcasts. It just is It it is what it is. She's a broadcaster. I yeah. mean, it just it blends in. It's perfect. You know, that's what I hope ends up happening with this crew and especially AJ. She is she's great. A really good color commentator. And I would like to hear a lot more of her going forward. She was I think the first time I heard her was it during the Olympics it may have been. I think she was doing. I think she did men's and women's yeah. hockey during the Olympics, and she was. And she did. And then when she came back in 2018, I believe she started doing NHL games.
2: Yeah, I I think she's one of the best analysts they they have. Truly, like she's she's really. I think Eddie O is still, you know, the 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 top notch hockey analyst as far as yeah. color men go in the league. But she's she's right there. Her insights are really really good. And uh, I I enjoyed it. It to me it felt like a normal broadcast, and that's the whole point.
1: Yeah, I always and I always love the broadcasters that point out little subtleties that you missed. And I thought that AJ and Kendall both did a really good job with that at, during the game action.
2: Definitely. All right, go. If you have a, it's you know James, it's almost softball season. It's almost baseball season, and baseball leagues from beer leagues to big organized youth leagues are looking for jerseys. They're looking for outfitting. They're looking for logo creation. Hit up our friends at Triple Threat Sports, 708-478-6090, or email chris at triplethreatsports.com. Chris will make you look the, like the most well-dressed, best put together, most professional team on the field. So hit them up, chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We're going to take a quick timeout and come back with a whole bunch more here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further.
2: Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We are always brought to you by our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. They've got locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Yes, Mardi Gras is over and it's a very sad time, but Mardi Gras is always going on at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. I have told you for years about their jambalaya. It remains my favorite jambalaya in the world. They've got the beignet breakfast. Go to chuckscafe.com and look up those schedules but now that it's lent like we mentioned before lots of fish specials on Fridays chuckscafe.com check out their menu check out their specials and you'll see what they've got coming every day of the week I've told you before about the cobblers the desserts everything there is fantastic but man if you're still feeling like Mardi Gras still going on or you just want a nice hearty delicious meal go get the jambalaya there they got it with shellfish or without for those of you with allergies so If you have an allergy, you're not missing out on the wonderful jambalaya, but the barbecue, the Mexican, the wings, the burgers, everything at Chuck's is fantastic. Go visit them, chuckscafe.com, Burbank, Darien. You will not be disappointed. All right, James, during the break, you and I were discussing kind of where to go from here (laughs) with uh, our lives and with the show and with today's show.
1: Yeah, it was a lengthy uh, therapy session that we just kind (laughs) of had with each other.
2: And I was trying to build a case in my mind for... The Blackhawks getting a playoff spot. And, you know, you could say eight of their next 11 are at home. There's some very winnable games in there, like San Jose, like Ottawa, Minnesota twice, Nashville, LA, Montreal, Buffalo. Those are all very winnable games. There's no doubt about it. But it's just, there's so many teams to hopscotch over. And again, every time they get close, they fall apart. And I don't know if it's. I don't know. It seems natural to blame the coach. Even though I can't say, like, here is specifically why Jeremy Cowden can't get his team over the hump. You got to blame, blame the players at some point, too. But it's just, it's extremely frustrating. And every time you start to feel good about this team again, they kick you in the rocks. And, they're, and they fall back out of it. And it's just, there's just no time left. There's no time left for a run. Had they beaten Detroit and had they beaten the Blues, we can maybe start talking about it. Right? Like, okay. You know, now
1: we're talking. It's still a long shot, but it's still, still there.
2: It is a long shot, even with those wins. Now, without them, it's a near impossibility.
1: Hmm. So, what are you watching for the last couple of weeks of the season? I mean, at this point, with Adam Boquist, like if he's in concussion protocol, why rush him back? There's no yeah to me. There's no point to do it. Like just put Nick Sealer out there and oh. just go with it, man. Like I I don't want to rush Adam Boquist back from a concussion in a completely pointless fashion. I think that this season he's obviously had his ups and downs. Uh, we discussed that a lot. That it was going to happen. He's a young defenseman learning how to play in the NHL. That's inevitable. Happens to everybody. I. I liked overall on balance. I really liked what I saw from Adam Boquist and I'm excited to see what he's going to do in the future. Let's keep that future intact and let's not rush him back from this concussion. We will start there. Yeah. That's the other main thing that I want to see from this Blackhawks team kind of coming down the stretch. is pretty simple. It's these guys like Olimata Mata that I'm going to be keeping an eye on and kind of deciding in the last couple of weeks, is this a guy that you're going to try to keep on your roster next season, even though they carry a bit of a cap hit, right? Because you, you're not going to be able to make those kinds of evaluations with players like Andrew Shaw and Zach Smith because they're done, you know? So you have to look to guys like your Olimadas to see kind of where you're going to put your money and your financial assets next season and what areas you're really going to need to address in free agency in the draft. And I know, Future planning always sucks because it involves usually a lot of losing in the short term. But when it comes to guys like Slater Cuckoo and Oli Mata, I feel like this is going to be the time of year where we really need to start to isolate and focus on those guys. Let Patrick Kane continue to do what Patrick Kane does. We know he's got to be in the plans for the future for this team. My big question is about guys like Mata and Cuckoo and Uh, guys, kind of of that financial level and then that kind of uh, level of play because the Hawks are going to have a lot of really tough decisions to make going into next season, and I think the evaluation on that, it should have already started, but it really needs to kick into high gear now that the playoffs are basically a pipe dream and almost a mathematical impossibility. Well, I
2: think you're on the right track, and a lot of the things you said are what I'll be looking for as well. The other thing I want to add to that is, you know, I think the guys that are due contracts – like Dylan Strome, Dominic Kubelik, Drake Kajula to a lesser extent. I want to see how these guys finish. I want to see how they go out as the season wraps up, right? As things slip away and the playoffs become an impossibility, are we going to see one of those guys sort of, you know, sit back a little bit? I don't think you're going to see it from Kajula if he returns. That dude is a gamer. He is a, uh agitator. He is a shit, dis- shit disturber, whatever you want to call him. That dude has no quit in him, and that's why I really like Drake Kajula. Because the team does not have enough guys like that. But are you going to see Dominic Kubelik slow down a little bit? Are you going to see mm-hmm. Dylan Strom slow down a little bit? The other thing I'd like to see is, with those decisions in mind, Cowan needs to get those guys out there and playing. The eval- Like you said, the evaluation process has to begin. I need to know who I'm paying. And maybe the salary cap goes up enough. We haven't discussed that yet. The salary cap is bound to go up.
1: Oh yeah. Did you see the potential high end of that? Too? I doubt
2: that happens. It would be wonderful it, if it did, but
1: that's a five, that 5% escalator. They always talk about it. It never had. For those of you not familiar with it, there is an escalator that can be triggered by the, I believe it's the player side in, in, in negotiations that can potentially balloon up the salary cap a little bit. And if they go with the full 5% escalator, this off season, the salary cap could go up to almost eighty nine million dollars.
2: Yeah, so the the league is projecting somewhere between eighty four and eighty eight point
1: two. Sorry, I thought it was eighty eight point six for some reason. My mistake.
2: It's, you're still right. I mean, it's right there, but it's just that would change some things. It would give the Hawks some flexibility. But I need to evaluate those guys. So you gotta pay. Like these guys now have to get paid. You know, maybe Strom signs for a little less than we thought last summer. But now Kubelik's going to sign for a lot more than we thought. Right. So it kind of offsets. So it's a big decision. and that to, I'm making my own decision based on how those two guys specifically finished the season. But right now, it's really hard for me to look at Dominic Kubelik and the season he's had and the second half he's had and be like, yeah, I'm ready to let that guy walk. I'm ready yeah. to trade that guy. Maybe... Dylan Strome is a guy who you say, look, we've got Jonathan Taves. He's not going anywhere. We've got Kirby Doc, who has really developed well uh-huh. over the last couple months. We've got this asset and a guy who's an, a pretty good number two center for any team in the league. How about we flip him for a defenseman?
1: Ah, uh, Jay, welcome to my side. <laughs> I'm so glad to welcome you over here. I'd give you cookies, but, you know, coronavirus and stuff.
2: I want cookies. I don't care about damn coronavirus. cooking me up. Yep.
1: <laughs> as as our listeners, I'm sure remember before the trade deadline, which one of us was hitting that drum of, hey, they need to look into trading Dylan Strom. Hey, that man, was me.
2: I'm not shooting down anything at this point. I'm really not.
1: I, well, yeah, I mean, how can you, right? Like, you've missed the playoffs now three years in a row. If you're shooting anything down, you're kind of a doofus. Right, like, but,
2: but I mean, I still like Dylan Strom.
1: No, I'm not. I'm not giving him this is not Eric Gustafson. This is yeah. not. James has the biggest axe in the world, and he's going to continue to grind it and grind it until that guy's run out of town on a rail. That is not at all how I feel about Dylan Strom. I feel the exact same way about him that you do, which is that having Jonathan Taves and Kirby Doc up the middle allows you to at least explore that option of trying to get a defenseman in a trade for him. I will say that there is some logic to keeping him, though, just based on the fact that what helped the Blackhawks really win those second and third Stanley Cups, it was their depth up the middle of the ice. Yeah, And as long as you're willing to actually play Dylan Strom like a center, Jeremy, then you actually <laughs> can get the most out of him.
2: Well, they also had six defensemen that could move the puck and could play. So,
1: th- Well, okay, fair enough. I'm just saying that But you're right. You know, like there, there is an argument to be made that keeping Dylan Strome would not be a bad idea. It would be a good idea to keep him. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that like you have to put a lot of options on the table. Basically, right now, short of trading Boquist or Doc, I think you need to basically like weigh every conceivable scenario that you can think of.
2: Yeah, that's well, and the that you sort of led me to the other thing I was going to watch for, and and that's, you know, Doc down a stretch here without Boquist. Those two guys have been the most important, the most interesting thing to me all season. Uh, And I I agree with you. They should not rush Boquist back, but it also, uh, man, takes some of the fun out of last month. The other thing now too,
1: it takes the shirt, certainly takes the air out of the balloon in terms of their transition game, man. Good Lord. Yeah. That thing stopped dead as soon as he wasn't on the ice.
2: And now I want to see Malcolm Subban. I want to see it. You've got the kid. He's on the roster. He was a first-round pick. Play him.
1: You know what? I apologize, Jay. We have not spoken in a while. What did you think of the Blackhawks bringing Corey Crawford back into that game against Anaheim after he got looked at by the spotter?
2: I would. Th- I think it's safe to assume he was okay. I mean, well,
1: yeah, it was very quick. They clearly were like, "Yeah, you're good. We just had to be sure."
2: I trust that they are doing the right thing by him. When he was hurt, they held him out. Uh, you know, Adam Bogus is in the protocol tonight. They did not bring him back in. So, I, I don't, you know, I, I know that gets a lot of attention when that happens, but that's the point of the spotter. The spotter saw something, they took him out, they looked at him and said, oh, you're good to go. Okay, get back in there. No problem I with think it.
1: The, I think the ultimate point was that they were up four goals in the third period, and putting him back out there may have been unnecessary.
2: But if he's not hurt, he's not hurt, right? That's, I mean, and
1: that's ultimately where I ended up falling on it. If your goalie's healthy, you play him.
2: Right. And did you see
1: the shift by Malcolm Subban? <laughs> It, it happened right in front of me at the United Center, so yes, I did. <laughs> it was a
2: little scary. I got to say it was a little scary, but I want to see him. I want to see him play. Let's go. You traded for him. You know, you made it look like a better trade than maybe it was or a more even trade than it was. You got to play the kid. Let's see what you got. He's another restricted free agent. You can never have too much goaltending in the organization, but I don't know. I, I just – that to me is it's the, the rest of the season, the next month here is evaluation, 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 evaluation of a lot of things. But one thing I want to do before we go. Dude, we have got to give it up for Duncan Keith. Who's playing like 30 minutes a night and seems like the more he plays, the better he plays. It's unbelievable. In the third period, he was making plays like keeping the puck in the zone or breaking up rushes. I don't know. Like we keep saying like, well, you know, this Duncan Keith downfall is going to come. And yes, it's going to come. But the last month he's had has been insane. I I don't know how he has the physical capability to do what he does at the age he's at with the mileage he has. It's truly unbelievable.
1: I I hundred percent agree with you. Like I I was struck watching the the games this week. Just the the energy and the effectiveness with which Duncan Keith is playing. What it reminds me of is Brent Seabrooks knowledge like the way that he can read a play developing and he starts to move towards the spot that he needs to be in Duncan Keith still has the ability and the speed to get to that spot and he showed it repeatedly in the last couple of games and he showed it again tonight he was getting a lot of shout outs on the broadcast and rightfully so like he made just some of the most ridiculous keep ins you could possibly see and yeah they didn't really amount to anything in the end but Yeah, it's just we've been waiting forever for that guy to finally break down all the years of playoff hockey and Olympic hockey to finally catch up with him. Maybe he really is Jesus, dude.
2: (laughs) He's hockey Jesus. He is definitely (laughs) cosplaying as Jesus. I think, you know, when the games are over, he heads to local church, and he's like, hey, you guys need a Jesus today? You looking for a Jesus? Like, yeah, sure. Come on in, buddy. (laughs) And he just walks in there, and there he is, Duncan Jesus. 30 minutes and 21 seconds of ice time tonight.
1: And and he honestly, he looked fresh as a daisy at the end of the game.
2: The next closest Hawk, as I look here, can you guess who it was?
1: Uh, Usually it would be a guy like Patrick Kane, but since the, oh, it is Patrick Kane? It is
2: Patrick Kane, 26-21.
1: I was going to say the other other guess I was going to have was a defenseman since Boquist went out. I was going to guess Connor Murphy.
2: Connor Murphy was 20 minutes and 56 seconds. Duncan Keith, again, 30 minutes and 21 seconds. His average shift, 119.
1: That's a long shift. He only had
2: 23 shifts in the game.
1: <laughs> man, oh man, that's that's long for an average shift time.
2: Yep, that is a badass human being. And uh, hopefully, oh, the other thing, by the way, that I'm looking for as the season wraps <laughs> up is the Corey Crawford goodbye party. Aww. It's time for fans to... Every game Corey Crawford plays to recognize him and thank him for his contributions in case he goes, he might sign again. Who knows? They might sign him up for a two-year deal for a little less money. Great. But this could be your chance after you've underappreciated Corey Crawford for the last almost decade. Now that he's in his last handful of games, the last uh, eight Hawks home games of the season, take some time and let Corey Crawford know he's appreciated. Damn it.
1: Yeah, you schlubs. Appreciate the man.
2: All right. You know what I appreciate? Good Nashville hot chicken. So I'm going to direct you, the Madhouse Podcast listener, to Fry the Coop. Where's Fry the Coop, you ask? Good question. Oaklawn? Elmhurst? Westtown? Well Street Market? Not good enough yet. All right. They're coming soon to Tinley Park and Prospects heights, Prospect Heights. Frythecoop.com. Go check them out. I have talked about Fry the Coop. They're hot chicken is absolutely the best I've ever had. I've been to all the places in Nashville, all the famous ones, Hattie B's and uh, Prices and uh, Boltons and all those places. I've tried them all. None of them hold a candle to me to fry the coop. It's crispy. It's spicy. It's delicious. You can get the donut sandwich that that big national chain has been hyping lately. Yeah, they've been doing that for a long time. Here's a pro tip. Go to fry the coop. Ask for a fry a side of the honey butter and dip your chicken in that, my friend. It will be one of the finest meals you've ever had. Go find your happiness at frythecoop, frythecoop.com. James, before we wrap things up, anything you want to add? I know you are headed out to Vegas, then to Arizona for some baseball. I hope you enjoy it. I just got back from Arizona last week. It was fantastic. Uh, anything you want to add before you hit the road, my friend?
1: Ah, uh, the only thing I want to add is I'm going to go ahead and put my life savings on the uh, Blackhawks to make a miraculous comeback and make the playoffs. And when I get rich and famous, I'm going to buy all of our listeners Sega Dreamcasts. <laughs>
2: I'll take a PS5 if we're. <laughs> I'll take the new technology that is not worse in my worse in reality than my memory. All those <laughs> like all those new released uh, like systems that come out, aside from nes and super nes like
1: oh man that nes was cool
2: play all the classic uh ps1 games like yeah great oh wait these games kind of suck now
1: (laughs) like literally what like what what was your favorite ps1 game
2: oh god well my favorite ps1 game is the midway two on two open ice classic uh called by pat foley it was like uh it was the nba jam of hockey
1: They have that at the uh, Galloping Ghost in uh, Brookfield, by the way. Well, we're the arcade version of it.
2: We are going there. They had that when I was at Lewis, and uh, like orientation weekend was like all the games were free. I probably played 120 games of that. I'm not kidding. I love that game, and I still keep the PS1 disc of that game in case the next PlayStation system has backwards compatibility that far back
1: yeah well and if they do i will have my disc of tony hawk's pro skater ready to go
2: there you go you're gonna to listen to some goldfinger superman <laughs> oh
1: my god yes
2: that song came on my ipad the other uh, ipad what my uh <laughs> my spotify the other day i'm like yes we're playing tony hawk right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep that's exactly where i go with it too i'm like holy crap it's tony hawk's pro skater yes <laughs> all
2: right dude have
1: a good trip i will, I will we'll, we will do a podcast while i am in arizona i believe is the plan yeah we um, so yeah i guess i'm gonna have to continue watching blackhawks games even though i'm gonna be in you know desert paradise so i do this for you guys the listeners i love you all
2: well if you don't know this james i re-upped our nhl.tv uh, subscription so you've got the login again and you'll be able to watch on the road huzzah enjoy that all right thanks for listening to the podcast I know it's going to be a long rest of the month, but let's hope the Hawks keep it interesting and at least stay in the conversation because they pretty much played themselves out of a lottery pick. But let's hope they keep it close, keep us stuff to talk about. If not, we'll still be here for you. There's plenty of things to look ahead to. There's always stuff to discuss. There's always things to be pissed off about, damn it. And we're here for you when you want to be pissed. So thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is Jay Zawoski. His name is James Neveau. We are brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris. 708 478 6090. See, I'm doing the Kendall coin thing. I got to slow down. Marishka's and Crest Hill, family owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit Chuck'sCafe.com and our newest sponsor, Fry the Coop. They're in Oaklawn, they're in Elmhurst, they're in Westtown, they're in Well Street Market, and coming soon to Tinley Park and Prospect Heights. Come get your happiness at FrytheCoop.com. We will talk to you very soon on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: Worried about mom or dad falling? The Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health helps make their home safer, even if you can't be there. Symphony works with voice activation or a care button they can opt to wear, along with smart sensors for coverage around the home. With 24-7 emergency response and an app to tie it all together, you can monitor your loved one's well-being for enhanced peace of mind. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub.
1: For the ones who know that a little late is
0: always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keefstock to learn more. Granger,
1: for the ones who get it done.